You're listening to The Coffee Podcast, where our focus is people and our language is coffee. I'm Weston Peterson. And I'm Jesse Hartman. West brings the quality. And Jesse brings the cafe. Today's coffee talk, coffee lore. Is freezing your coffee a good or a bad idea? Well, this is a coffee question that has consumed the minds of coffee consumers for years and years and years. Yes, it has. <laughs> and I will tell you, it is a very commonly asked question. You know, oftentimes people will come up to you and they realize that you work in coffee um, and that you, or you, you know, don't. love coffee, right? Or you don't. But you, people, <laughs> random people off the street just come up and ask, hey, <laughs> you know, does storing coffee in the freezer keep it freshness longer now let, let me take a mind poll right now this is kind of poll where it's not real or anything but you're listening and and i'm talking so i'm going to ask you this question has your anybody in your family ever told you that freezing coffee makes it fresher over time and if you answered yes to that question it means you fall in line with some of the other people that are listening that also said yes to that question that's right and so my hand was up we <laughs> we need no. to get to the bottom of this we cannot Stand for anything less than the truth here on the Coffee Podcast. And that's right. Even when the truth hurts. And when it hurts, it's it hurts. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so let's get to it. Let's talk right in it. Um, the issue of freezing coffee comes down to one concern. Coffee freshness. Coffee. That's it, people. That's what it's all about. That, that really is a question. Um, so the question of should I freeze my coffee comes down to the question of how do I keep my coffee fresh right. for the longest amount of time. Right. So if we're going to talk about freshness, what we've learned and what we're constantly learning, when I say we're in the uh, larger sense of the coffee industry, is that moisture content is extremely important throughout the entire life of a coffee uh, bean, seed, whatever you want to call it. And at this end of it, after roasting, the moisture is as important, right? I would argue. That's right. Uh, Coffee beans have four major enemies. According to the National Coffee Association. Your beans' greatest enemies are air, moisture, heat, and light. Now, that goes for green coffee... As it also goes for roasted coffee, in both forms, air, moisture, heat, and light play a detrimental effect on the freshness of your bean. So in that context, um, we have to ask the question of how, what, what, how, <laughs> what role does moisture play in your freezer? And does it play a role? Well... The answer to that question is yes, it does play a role. And so let, let's go ahead and we're going to quote just a piece um, of this uh, study that was, rele- was released on scientific reports called The Effect on Bean Origin on Grinding, grinding Roasted Coffee. 
which is an open article. We will link to it in our podcast description of this episode. Um, but I am going to just quote a little piece at the conclusive part of the article. Quote, Indeed, water content in the roasted bean is of paramount importance. End quote. And that is just a piece of the conversation of what is the effect of water or rather coffee being exposed to water um, over time. And so the sort of now obvious answer to that is water um, exposed to coffee is going to hurt the condition of that coffee. It's going to hurt the essentially freshness, or in the words of how they said it, uh, quote, prolonged exposure to water can result in the salvation of flavorsome molecules, thereby decreasing the lifetime of the frozen product, end quote. Right. And so it's not so much saying, this article isn't so much saying freezing your coffee is a terrible thing or that it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But what it is saying is that moisture alongside uh, the coffee being in, said, you know, saying your freezer is not a good thing for the lifetime of the frozen product. That's right. I also think it is important to bring up that co- uh, coffee is a hygroscopic. Oh, man. Hygroscopic. A hygroscopic. Are you telling me hygroscopic? <laughs> I'm saying coffee is a hygroscopic agricultural commodity, meaning... Break out the Webster for me. Merriam-Webster, meaning that it likes to retain and absorb water. So rut row, rut row people, we run into an issue here. Moisture isn't good. At all. Now, this is... (laughs) At all? You know, in this study, I, I assume the study is based on the roasted product... But even in the green bean phase, even in the trading side, the exporting side, the storing side of green coffee, moisture is a huge, huge deal. Right. And as conversations, Wes and I have even had conversations with people recently, even at Coffee Fest. That's right. In, uh, out in Dallas, uh, everybody's begin- beginning to talk more and more about moisture. Um, but and this thing called water activity. What? Water activity, people. Oh, man. There is something out there <laughs> called water activity. <laughs> called water activity. Well, we well, apologize for the phantom in the microphone. That's right. But what this water activity goes to explain is the fact that you can see and trace out how if a coffee is dried too quickly... It will play an effect on the longevity and the freshness of that bean. Also, there are consequences for a coffee not being dried fast enough. And that all goes into this concept of water activity. So, you know, from bean to cup, moisture plays a very vital role. Even we've got processing methods that one has a lack of water being a naturally processed coffee, whereas the other is a washed coffee. And the difference between one being exposed to water and one not being exposed has a huge impact on the flavor of the coffee. Would you not agree that a natural tastes completely different than a washed? I, I mean, it's, it's, it, that's not debatable. You can tell not only <laughs> in the cup, but by the color of the bean as well. Naturals like to display a more yellow tone and whereas washed coffees are this very blue green polished look so 
if we dive if we dive into the issue here, is freezing your coffee a good or bad thing? If we go back to that, I mean, we're essentially saying because coffee is hygroscopic, right? Because it likes to absorb and take in all that water, right? Um, like it's about to run a marathon. Like I think I would tell Frosty the Snowman, wear some gloves if you're going to brew that coffee. It's dude. loading up on all I, that water content. <laughs> I I think. What we need to consider here is not, is that a bad question? Because it certainly is not a bad question, but what really matters? And we've kind of beat this horse, but it's water content. Right. It's moisture. Right. And how do you alleviate this issue? Well, the issue, it seems, according to the scientific report, is that prolonged exposure to water can result in the solvation of flavorsome molecules thereby decreasing the lifetime of the frozen product. Pause. If this entire question stemmed from, does storing coffee in the freezer keep my coffee more fresh? Fresher. Is that a word? Yeah. Now it is. (laughs) Yet, if we expose this coffee to Uh, if we have prolonged exposure to water, it is going to have the opposite effect effect. of what you desire. It's actually going to decrease the lifetime of the frozen product. So that could be a bad thing. And that would lead someone to believe that storing coffee in a freezer is not okay. And that's not what this article proves. Now, let me quote, uh, in fact, directly below the other piece that we just quoted, Now, quote, from a consumption perspective, cooling of coffee beans significantly decreases the rate of mass loss through volatile sublimation, evaporation. Thus, coffee that is ground and brewed cold could potentially demonstrate increased aroma and or flavor in the eventual brewed cup. So what we have here is to um, get rid of all the confusion, to get rid of the um sort of jargon that people throw around when they talk about putting coffee in your freezer there are specialty coffee brewers out there who will tell you do not ever freeze your coffee and there are non-specialty coffee brewers out there who will say throw your coffee in the freezer year round yeah and neither one of those is a solution to anything right what this article is pointing out is actually cold coffee brews quite nicely it might even have an increased aroma um, and even flavor so Mm -hmm. it's not the fact that it's cold it's not the fact that it's frozen or room temperature it has to do with and we beat it to death moisture moisture. and so how can you deal with this problem it's really well maybe it's not this simple but this is what kind of we have gathered um based on us reading this article and kind of pulling our brains together and saying how can we make educated decisions in the coffee world and uh this is what we have well of course you know, based on the four major enemies of the coffee bean, we should be storing coffee in a manner that reduces the effect of air, moisture, heat, and light. Rightio. And so, how are you going to reduce all of those things? Well, we kind of have decided that uh, this is kind of our, our conclusion based on all the facts, is that we should store coffee in a manner that significantly reduces the effect of air, moisture, heat, and light. Therefore, we should store whole bean in extremely airtight, moisture-free containers. Right. Now, 
what what I'm wanting to say is this is the future of storing coffee. It's called the astronaut. What's that? <laughs> the astronaut way. Is that like vacuum sealed <laughs> packages of I coffee? I think vacuum sealed would work probably the best, but there are other yeah. methods that are probably cheaper and less of a hassle because we know convenient convenience is important. You know, when you're when you want a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. Yeah. So I'm going to suggest, based on what I could find, something that is called the uh, Airscape by Planetary Design, which is basically a vacuum sealed container mm-hmm. that allows you to. Um, essentially press down the lid mm-hmm. to the point that most of the air is out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, you're keeping out most of the air and most of the moisture. And it's going to be stored somewhere where there's probably not a lot of light right. and a lot of heat. And so I, th- I would then argue that you might want to store it somewhere that's a little cooler. Okay. According to the um, research that we just discussed. So I, I really just want to get kind of a overview i want to see everything we're talking about we've got one article saying that moisture kills your coffee in a really aggressive harsh way now we've got another article that says and this was released june 14th saying that cold coffee beans can increase the overall aromatics and or flavor of the brewed coffee. Now let's try and think. If I can, if I can't store coffee in the freezer because of moisture being an issue, then we've got to figure out a way to eliminate moisture. But if we can eliminate moisture, is it a bad is it a bad thing to to keep your coffee beans uh, cold? Apparently, to the study, it might increase. The aromatics and or flavor. And I don't know about you, Wes, but that sounds really good that to me. That sounds appetizing. <laughs> appetizing. So if we can reduce the risk uh, of like moisture, if we can seal this in, in an extremely airtight container, what's the big deal? Right. If we can alleviate the issue of moisture. moisture. Yeah, I'd say store your coffee. Try it out. In a cool environment. We are going to try this out. Mark we my words. absolutely will. Mark my words. And I would not be surprised to see an upcoming world brewing competitions watching these world-renowned coffee brewers bringing in vacuum-sealed coffee-dosed bags in ice chests waiting for competition where they can just cut that sucker open, throw it in the hopper, and grind those beans as dry and as cold as possible to make a really amazing brew. So, does storing coffee in your freezer keep it fresher? It depends. It depends on how you store it. Exactly. Keeping that moisture out. And, based on the article, it might not be that bad of an idea. In fact, it might be a good idea. Right. So... And and just so uh, I want to encourage all of our listeners to go and read this article. We are linking it in the description of this episode. Um, but the article actually covers a lot more than just um, you know does storing a coffee cold have an effect on how it brews. It also talks about grinding and the effect of grinding and heat um, and things like that. So go ahead and read that up. It's going to be really helpful if you're a home brewer. It's going to be helpful if you're a barista. It's going to be helpful um, to no one who hates coffee. 
<laughs> yeah, I think you covered the whole. I spectrum think I, there. I covered the spectrum. <laughs> so now into our next. This is a much heavier topic, I would argue. Um, yes. And Wes, how about you introduce this topic? We're going to be bringing to light what Kim, Elena, Ionescu brought to ours last week on the sustainability interview. Now, if you have not listened to that episode, I highly recommend go back and listen to it. She has got some amazing things to say. I'm going to warn you, if you don't care about sustainability, you're not going to care about the next 15 minutes of conversation. But keep on listening. <laughs> yeah, but Jesse. do keep on listening. Come on now. No, see, that was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> what she brought to our attention was this. The halo effect. Now, in my own words, I describe this as the process of, or the idea of, if you pay more for a coffee that tastes good, it therefore does good. Okay, and, and Wes, I'm going to just ask you, what do you mean, like, give me, like, a practical um, situation here that you might see this happen. Like, wh what's the situation? Walking into a cafe and paying the extra 50 cents to a dollar for that, you know, pretty bag on the, on the counter top that says seed to cup direct or trade. organic. Or even direct or trade, RFA. which is not an official. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, the halo effect is the idea that if you're paying up for a coffee that tastes better, it therefore means that it is doing better. It is doing good. And just to be clear, this is not correct. According to Kim Elena Ionescu, the price premium halo effect is that coffee tasting good is somehow a proxy for people doing better economically. Right. Now... What has changed Kim's mind about price premiums or paying more for a higher quality coffee is that, quote, price premiums aren't really changing what anyone is able to accomplish. In other words, it does not transform the farmer's lives. Let's take a break right there. Okay. And try and mull this over. Right. Because even Kim alluded to the fact that in 2013, she had adopted the idea known as the halo effect. You pay more for a coffee that has a story and somehow it is doing good. Right. And I, where does the problem happen? Why isn't it um, so simple as this? Well, I think, frankly, you could just look at most things in life and just say, it's just not that simple. It's not going to be that simple, right? Right. Um, which I think is the very reason we fall for something like that, because it seems like it would be simple. Hey, I know about the farmer because the bag says these things about the farmer, and I'm paying, you know, $23 instead of $15 for this bag, and look at the design, and it says yeah. direct trade. It must be doing good. And when we say doing good, we're talking about, like, ethically, like, we're talking about sustainable, you know, social and environmental impacts. There we go. You know, and it's very common 
to to fall into something like that when you see those certifications saying organic or rainforest alliance or fair trade or um, direct trade or seed to cup that all kind of brings together this well, idea with even the story. direct trade is not a certification that's just something you can direct throw in trade your bag. is not certified right. you're correct uh, it's not regulated which I don't think it should be yeah I'm not saying it should be but it it's important to know it's not. Right. Direct trade is not regulated. If you see it on a bag, it doesn't mean it means what you think it means. <laughs> right. It could mean a number of things. Right. And that's exactly another reason you should go back and listen to episode 38 with the interview. Um, she had a lot to say on direct trade as well. Uh, you know, but a lot more, as you were saying, Jesse, and as Kim was saying, goes into the process of paying these price premiums. And according to Kim... Price premiums aren't really changing what people are able to accomplish, meaning what the farmer is able to do on their farm. Okay. It's Let, sorry. Let, let's pause and talk about price premiums. I know there's some some of us okay. wondering to ourselves, what does he mean? Well, price premium is essentially the uh, paying up for, and when I mean paying up, meaning paying extra dollars on a coffee that is a higher quality. So this is coffee that's usually not traded on the futures market, um, and it's usually an outright price, probably a direct trade price, like a contracted price. You go over into an uh, you know a, a farm, and you cup a certain lot from a certain silo, and you contract out the grade and the cup quality, and you say, "I am going to pay up for this." Boom! That's a price premium right there. And when the buyer pays up for that coffee, you know, it's obviously going to cost logistics to get it back into warehouse. And then it's going to cost trucking and all that and overhead. And then by the time it's roasted and in your hand as a cup of coffee, uh, that coffee has a price premium in which you have to pay, which is why you're paying more for that coffee. Right. Which in a lot of cases is why a, a bag of coffee is, you know, twenty three dollars U.S. dollars versus, say, like 15 U.S. dollars. Right. But what a lot of these green coffee buyers are doing is they're paying up on a premium that is purchased through a producer and a co-op. And that co-op is actually what manages who gets paid for what. So you've got all these farmers. Let's say you've got 100 farms. 200 farms shoveling and driving and all their coffee up into this mill and here at the mill you've got workers who are um organizing coffee by cupping grade so you put all the nice cupping coffees the 80 you know five pluses in one silo and everything you know the 82s to the 83s you put in another so at the end of it you've got 200 farmers who brought their entire harvest and you've got this blended cup score average of certain you know levels you know you got the 80 85 pluses and you got the 82 pluses and you got the you know the lower grades and yeah you might be paying up for those higher cupping qualities but all of that money just goes into the hands of this co-op who isn't really doling out specific price premiums to the farmers who are bringing in that cup quality. Now, it's like 
everyone is bringing their apples to the farm. All the apples get mixed together and sold at different prices, but all the farmers are getting paid the same. Okay. And so... It doesn't matter if you're growing the best qualities in the country, best apples in the country. You bring it to the mill and you get paid the same price as Bob Joe, you know, five miles away, who is growing the lowest altitude apples that are all mushy to the touch. Right. That's kind of the nature of a co-op. Right. Okay. So the premiums, and and this is why the conversation is important. A lot of people think that they're doing, um, they're doing good by buying these uh, coffees that include premium pricing. Um, and that's just not the case. Um, and again, if you want more of that kind of conversation, if you do go back to the last episode we, we released, um, Kim, who is the Director of Sustainability for the SEAA, really uh, pieces apart a lot of those issues and talks about why that is not true. Right. Um, and so we just felt it was really important to... Re- to revisit yeah. because it's something you could have easily missed in the episode if you're caught up in the other really interesting parts of that conversation with Kim. Mm-hmm. Um, so she also said, after going over the price premiums, that it is her wish that all of us were to be more clear on what it is that we are paying for. And if we want to have a social or environmental impact that's positive it will probably involve a different kind of program other than price premiums for high-quality coffee. Right. So just to reiterate... She's not saying that paying more money for a higher cupping quality is bad. No, not, not at, at all. all. Not at all. No. She actually is really encouraged and loves the idea of specialty coffee. And if you're paying more money for a better-tasting cup... That's great. It's the fact or it's the idea of by the coffee tasting good and paying more for it that it somehow has a positive social and economic impact on the lives of the farmers, which just has to be brought up and it has to be made known that that's not the case. Right. And I, so pay up for your good cup and quality coffee. Pay up for your really nice specialties, but we should all be on the same page here. Right. So let, let's kind of break down the final thoughts of that whole point. So uh, under the umbrella of paying more for your coffee from the consumer end, what does it not do? Well, it does not translate into, quote unquote, doing, doing good, good, right? Um, we kind of beat that one to death. It doesn't transform farmers' lives. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily have a positive social or environmental impact. And so why are we bringing all of this up? Because it seems to be assumed, which is dangerous, that because the coffee tastes better and because you're paying more for it, those at origin must be doing real good. Yeah. And it's just not the case. It's just not the case. And as Kim discusses, like if you're interested in the, you know, social or environmental impacts of your purchases. I think the most important key to all of that is transparency, which hopefully you can find on the bag. Hopefully you can uh, be able to investigate. Um, Some cafe imports actually has like a traceability. 
You know, but but transparency is such a funny thing because literally all transparency has to be is give me a farm name, give me an elevation, give me a varietal, and that's transparency. And what does that actually do? Yeah. What does that actually do? I don't think that does much. I think, you know, we have to challenge... I think Absolutely. as as consumers, we need to challenge roasters and uh, maybe even traders to provide more information so that we and, can know. And, yeah, and, and be involved and support these programs that actually are providing uh, these resources and these social and economic impacts. Right. on the lives of the farmers. And from from my memory, there was a SCAA YouTube broadcast about this topic. Excuse me. And um, one of the issues that was discussed was the fact that a lot of these farmers don't have financial uh, understanding. They don't understand how the market works. And so that's just one way in which hey, if I have a farm and I'm making a profit, like if I don't understand those profits or how I'm making money, how can I possibly save and make more money or invest in futures or even stay in the coffee market? You know what I mean? Like those, that's just one example of uh, maybe a need that might be there uh, for farmers. Absolutely. All over the world. Why are we bringing this up? We want our listeners to be informed with the truths of price premiums and to be able to differentiate between marketing tactics and real sustainability. You're listening to The Coffee Podcast, where our focus is people and our language is coffee. Happy brewing.